Hi, everybody. I'm Dr. Stephen Long. Welcome to the X Factor, the Human Performance and Leadership Podcast. I'm here today with Brett Hickey, uh, the founder and CEO of Star Mountain Capital in New York City. Welcome, Brett. How are you to, doing today? Doing well, Steve. Uh, pleasure to be here with you. Well, thanks for being here. So uh, tell me who you are and uh, tell me what you do. Sure. I uh, founded Star Mountain Capital about 11 years ago. Uh, maybe a brief uh, background, given this is about the, the X factor and with young children that I have, I'm trying to figure out how to have them take a different path than I did, but hopefully uh, yield a uh, positive and, and similar result in some capacities, which uh, I'm happy with. Other capacities, hopefully uh, better than, than I've been able to achieve. I grew up in northwestern Canada, small town of about 10,000 people, uh, northern British Columbia. Worked on the oil drilling rigs for a year, so kind of an oil rigs to Wall Street story. As you can imagine, it's not as a crow flies. I uh, was in speed skating, as we were talking about, had the desire to go to the Olympics. I'd been fortunate enough to set a Canadian record and get a Canadian gold medal. And so I moved to Calgary to train on the Canadian national speed skating training team while going to college. I always like to joke with my uh, friends from Canada who pursue the NHL and hockey really as a passion and a, 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 an economic career. And mm -hmm. in speed skating, I always like to joke that the fortunate thing is there's no money in it. So you know day one that you probably need a plan B. I wasn't sure what that was, but I knew the oil rigs wasn't the desirous plan B. And so I figured college, which you and I spoke about as well, was really a great path to somewhere. Um, thought it would be medicine initially, ended up really loving business, partially because I didn't want to do a decade of college, and um, ended up flipping my bike on the velodrome, as with a lot of athletes, as you and I were also talking about with injuries. Uh, we tend to get injured in our off-season sports. In my case, was racing around the velodrome, ton of fun. Unfortunately, flipped my bike and got injured. Decided I didn't want to uh, continue the pace to hopefully go to the Olympics for Salt Lake City and then decided that I was gonna pursue business in a, in a more aggressive, passionate manner, which I, I really fell in love with the, the creativity of the finance industry, which I know a lot of people don't think about creative and finance together, but in fact, it's actually quite an open architecture platform where if you have creativity, there's, there's actually a lot you can do within it. So fast forward, I went to McGill University, graduate of finance and accounting degree, was lucky enough to get recruited to work for, at the time, the largest financial institution in the world, which was Citigroup Solomons of Barney. Uh, the only thing I knew moving to New York was I knew nothing about everything. And therefore, <laughs> uh, the investment banking program at Solomons of Barney was appealing to me because they put you in a two-month training program, and at the end of it, you get to pick which group you wanted to be in, where some other firms like Goldman Sachs and whatnot wanted to put me in the energy, oil, and gas field, because it was somewhat unique having you know somebody in the investment banking team that actually was a driller and worked out uh, on the oil rigs. Um, knowing that that's a cyclical space, I didn't want to spend my career there, so I covered financial institutions, uh, which really touches a bit of everything. Loved that experience, but didn't get the same entrepreneurial passion out of investment banking that I thought I could achieve as a private investor. And therefore, in 2004, uh, left with some colleagues to launch a lower middle market private investing business, investing in established small and medium-sized private businesses, providing with debt capital, equity capital, and anything in between. Um, fast forward the next 17 years, 
here's where we are today. Uh, Starmount Capital, we manage just over $1.3 billion of capital, 100% employee owned. I founded the firm with um, money that I made and, and saved. Um, my father was a, a high school teacher and a middle school principal. My mother passed cancer. I was very young, unfortunately. So it was uh, money that I made working here and just kind of kept rolling. Started as very small dollars and kind of going all in and all in and all in. And nearly 20 years later, I feel very fortunate for what we've built as a business. I know we'll talk more about culture and whatnot as I think a, really a critical X factor because what you can probably um, determine from that is it wasn't because of growing up in a small town in Northwestern Canada. It wasn't because of the oil rigs. It wasn't because of speed skating. Those were really not things that led me to where I am, even though in different ways they all contributed. So there's a little background and some inside baseball for um, your listeners. <laughs> That's fantastic. That, that, was, uh, that was excellent, Brett. So uh, your firm, uh, Star Mountain Capital, is, uh, is known for the emphasis that you all place on human capital. So I'm wondering, you know, what, what is the best aspect of being a leader? It's a great question. Um, there are a lot of challenges in being a leader. That's probably an easier question. Um, I always mm -hmm. like to refer to it as sometimes you're the head of the complaint department. Uh, <laughs> so it's always nice when people say, hey, thank you. I appreciate that. It's often surprising. And, and I'm in an organization called the Young Presidents Organization or YPO, which I've been in for about 12 years now. And some of us get together to say it's, it's a way of bonding and coming together because sometimes it feels lonely in certain cases to be a leader. Uh, I guess the main benefit of being a leader in my view is that if you're a business owner in particular or if you're afforded the ability to have some creativity and leeway in how you try to approach things is that you can create a vision and develop a strategy to then execute against that. And for me, that's what's fun and exciting. Uh, my wife and I joke about that a lot where I'm kind of the visionary thinking about our family and our life and the lifestyle we want to build because it's all open architecture. Um, I'm an only child. As I mentioned, my mother passed of cancer. I was six years old at the time. Uh, my father lives in a, a very cold part of Canada that I prefer to visit him in Mexico in the winters and whatnot versus <laughs> going back there or having him come visit me. Um, but that's not where I want to go back to. So we're really saying, how do you create a life and in a business, same thing. What is your business? I think a couple of key things about that are what problem or problems are you solving and how are you uniquely differentiated from your competitors? Those are two very fundamental questions. I think any business owner that wants to create real long-term value needs to address. And then hopefully you can have a big market opportunity that you can scale and grow into and ideally have a a multi-phase long-term growth plan to your business. So hopefully if you're successful at stages one through three, hopefully stages three through six are even more compelling and even more valuable uh, for you to achieve as a business. And if you can create that type of business model as a leader, that's the fun part. Um, there are again, a lot of challenging parts to being a leader. I think having grit and as you call the X factor, I think are, are critical lots of ways to get grit um, as I'm trying to help develop for my son that will fortunately grow up in a, in a different way than I did, but I want him to have grit. And so I think culture is critical. That's maybe the, the thing I'll end on around leadership uh, vision strategy is really exciting to me and culture. When I started Star Mountain, 
I took a view to say finance doesn't have to be what a lot of us know of in investment banking, the legal world, the accounting, other worlds, which are not often known for their amazing cultures. They can, you know, very intelligent people, very hardworking, very sophisticated people, very driven, very motivated, but they're often not trained to really think culture, to think long-term, to think about alignment together. And so when I started Star Mountain, I said, I think that's a real opportunity. There's an opportunity to show people that you can have all the great things about the private equity, private investing industry, but do it in a way that's really a family and team centric culture and community internally. And I think that's been a big driver of our success to date. And I think that uh, from here to the future, I guess stages three through six, which we're perhaps embarking on now, um, I believe are gonna be only easier because we have developed the culture that we have today. Mm-hmm. Okay. So out of those, you know, those, those three pillars of, uh, of leadership that you spoke about, which one do you think is the primary responsibility for a leader? It's, it's, it's a really good question, Steve. When I, um, if you would have asked me that 20 years ago, I would really say the buck stops here. So it's your responsibility, no excuses, make sure you achieve your goals, bottom line, and that's it. And I was, I was pretty intense. Um, I've learned, I hope, uh, to harness that intensity and drive in a more curated manner that you can kind of escalate it and package it in a way to accomplish goals better. But I think at the end of the day, the most important thing for a leader is talent development, broadly defined. Thinking about, if you think about each person on your team as being a piece of a puzzle, well, you first need to know what the puzzle looks like then you need to fill in the right pieces. And as you get certain pieces, that means there's other pieces missing. And so as you put that together, I think you form a really tight knit puzzle and team where you have complementary skills, goals, shared values and a shared culture that way. And when I did um, an executive program at Harvard Business School called the Owner President Manager Program, which I, I highly advocate for that in the Young Presidents Organization, which have really helped me a lot in my career Uh, one of the things this program is quite unique in is that you live on campus at Harvard Business School for approximately three weeks over three separate years. So nine weeks in total, and then you do work in between and before that and so forth. And you live on campus with about 150 CEOs for that three weeks. No spouses allowed, very focused. The dorm rooms are are pretty nice. Um, They are dorm rooms, but nonetheless, it's, it's actually quite nice living, but just an incredible Uh, experience and very rich experience where you get access to the top professors that are really focused on how do we build our businesses, not how do we learn basic accounting and some of the other things that a more standard MBA program would have because it's not something that's applicable to us as CEOs or CEO equivalents of businesses, which is a requirement of the program. And through that program, when we looked at case studies, which I think case studies are a great way of learning. And if we think about the private investment world, which is similar, people talk about it as an apprenticeship business. That's because you've really got to go through learnings and case studies, meeting people, analyzing people, looking for patterns, looking for situations, helping determine what is the most relevant, what's not. There's a time and place, negotiations, a lot of things. 
And through all the different types of case studies from sports to business and so forth, I really think the CEO's biggest job is broadly speaking talent development if I had to pick as it just one. There's a lot of other things that are critical, but I viewed that my job, if I was gonna build the best business that I could, was to become great at identifying, developing, and then growing and retaining talent at the end of the day. And maybe I'll give one last other thing that was interesting because when I was in investment banking, HR we viewed in a, I'll call it a compliance kind of basket, which by the way, I think compliance is also critical, especially in the fiduciary private investment world, compliance is something that you can't do improperly, right? You can afford slightly lower returns, you can't afford bad compliance. Obviously, you don't want low returns. You don't want, you want everything to be great, but you, you cannot lose trust with your investors. That stuff's critical or with, you know, regulators. So in investment banking, I remember they'd say, oh, you've got an HR thing to do. And it was kind of like, hey, you just kind of have to get this done. Yeah, we know it's a hassle and a nuisance, but just kind of check your boxes, go through what you need to do, and then get back to work. It wasn't viewed as, hey, this is a senior inspiring motivational talent developer I actually looked at people in other industries like richard Branson and other folks that i know the pandemic has obviously been very hard on virgin but he developed you know multiple businesses of over a billion dollars in revenue which is quite unique and we look at people like steve schwarzman from blackstone and, and other folks of that nature executives kick your and other firms you know they've really focused on how do we attract and develop and retain the best talent possible and, and that's what i think is the most important role if you had to boil it down to one okay so you know what we talk about here on this podcast is uh talent optimization uh, leadership effectiveness strategic execution and human performance so if you'd like uh why don't we you know it, it, we can continue on that talent optimization uh, uh aspect so what advice would you give to you know, other leaders regarding talent and, and optimizing that talent? I think the, there's no shortcuts, um, at least in, in my life, I viewed that that's the reality of it. In talent development, we have eight people that work for us in India, for example, we opened that office 10 years ago. And I told our people, yes, you're, you get to kind of outsource your work a little bit in a sense to people, but they still have to be trained, developed, work has to be reviewed. Nothing is just plug and play, including finding great talent. I think finding talent and analyzing talent, people often joke and say the resume is kind of like your best ofs, not your actual, hey, here's who the person is. It's kind of like, here's the absolute best possible. Um, I don't know if, if you're a golfer, people that golf, like if you take each of your best shots ever and you say, here's all my best shots, and that equals me as a golfer, well, of course that doesn't, right? That's, that's a small percentage, or at least if you golf like me, that's definitely not your average golfing. Yeah, those are the outliers. Exactly, and that's what a resume to some capacity is. And so if you read different, like Harvard Business Review and other people, Corn Ferry is a great leadership institution uh, mm -hmm. that I'm lucky to have some people involved with us from. And if you look at these, they really talk about references, referrals, spending time with people, one of the things we have that's a bit distinguished and differentiated at Star Mountain is we have a multi-year talent development program starting in college. So it's a, it's a year-round program 
where students work full-time during the summer, part-time during the school year, so that the people that work full-time don't look at them as just somebody to buying books during the summer. They look at them to say, hey, this is long-term value. If I invest the time and effort in them, hopefully I'm gonna get operational leverage out of them for at least a couple of years. Now, all of a sudden, they look at them differently. They invest time in them differently. Then if you flip to the experience that the interns have, it's phenomenal because people invest real time and effort into them and they're put into real projects they can really learn, not just do basic things that are short-term in nature because that's all a summer program would provide. Um, while that doesn't sound overly novel, uh, I'm not aware of other people that do it. We develop this internally ourselves just out of basic logic and, and thinking and talent development. So that's an example, I think, of what people might refer to as thinking outside the box a little bit. It doesn't have to be overly complex. It just has to be logical and has to fit your business and your business's needs, which those are all different. But I think I would uh, suggest other CEOs and to all the private businesses that we invest in, we certainly assist with this, is to map out your talent development with your business plan and then identify who can help you develop that team and understand that it's probably something that you're gonna to wanna to have a reasonable amount of time invested into yourself. Now I'll mention a caveat associated with that is that if you're the founder of a business like myself, we all have strengths and weaknesses. And so you wanna to build to your strengths and you wanna find complementary partners to help you know, execute against your weaknesses. So, you know, if you're a, I don't know, a mad scientist and just brilliant around things, maybe talent development might not be your core thing, but you better find those few key people that are going to help do that and recognize how critically important talent development is. So you don't necessarily need to do it yourself, but you need to really put a very high premium on who is doing it, how it's being done. And then lastly, I'd say it sounds pretty basic, but make sure interests are aligned. Make sure interests are aligned if you're in the investment business like us with your investors, with your team. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll end with uh, Steve just mentioning one of the other things that we've done at Star Mountain. In addition to being 100% employee owned, 100% of our full-time employees participate in the profits of our investing. So everybody, when we're making investment decisions, when we're helping find companies to invest in, evaluate them, add value and help those companies grow, whether we're lending to them, investing minority equity in them, acquiring them, our whole team, 100% of our 40 full-time people, and then all of our 35 operating partners, all of those 75 people have their own economic interest aligned with myself as the founder, and aligned with our investors and aligned with each other to say let's work as a team let's try to create value as a team not you did this i did that i found the deal you found the deal that's yours that's mine oh all the problems are yours people like to say you know challenges are orphans and you know victories have many uh, grandparents or something like that right yeah. <laughs> um you know it's just basic and one of the one of the pretty simple straightforward things that you can do is align interest to motivate the behavior that you're seeking. So both of us have, you know, very strong athletic backgrounds and identifying talent in athletics is, 
it's, it's not necessarily easy, but it is straightforward. Okay. Mm -hmm. so, but in, in business, it's a little bit more ambiguous. So what are some of the things that, you know, that indicate when you come across an executive that he or she has talent? What, what are the things that, you know, that, that show that? Yeah, it's a good question, and it's a it's a, a Rubik's cube. It's something that is is very much an art that you can apply data driven analysis to. And so, at Star Mountain, we've created different ways of evaluating and scoring people from a you know hiring them, developing them, and it really starts with what you want them to do. You've got to start with the end in mind is the, the old adage that really anything you're starting with and saying, mm -hmm. what do you want them to do? What do they need to be good at? And then identify those key characteristics and then find the person. I think often people are too reactive to talent um, and, and that's not good because it has to be the right talent for the right thing. And when it's a match, it's a win for everybody but you can have the wrong talent and the wrong job and that just be oil and water. And so I think that's a, you know, something that's critical about that. Another thing in, in talent development is I believe at least certainly in, in my business and I guess in, in any investment business where you're a fiduciary, you need loyalty. You can ask yourself, well, how can you be a fiduciary to your shareholders if you're not going to be loyal to them? So one of the critical things that we look for in evaluating people is trying to understand who they are, what's their fabric. And I think there's a lot of different ways it can be people that are involved in religion, in their community. You know, one of the things I'll, I'll uh, mention to people that I would tell people from our conversation at the beginning um, in learning about you, you talked about how with, um, you know, your university, how you like giving back because everybody that graduates from high school in Kansas uh, gets to go to college and how that makes you appreciate that you want to help give back and add value because you know that's valuable. There's nothing in it for you, but that's just an example of your character. So my ears are always ringing and looking for quality people, especially in the finance industry, right? Where people are chasing shiny coins and not just finance tech. I mean, just jumping job to job. You know, the reality of building any business, it's not like the hockey stick, you know, mm -hmm. hopefully it's up and to the right, but it's an S that's up and to the right. Mm -hmm. And you want a team and a business that can capitalize on the opportunities and mitigate the challenges and continue to repeat that. And that's what creates the long-term value. So character, loyalty, trustability, critical above all and then it's the right fit and then lastly um, i'm a big fan of data and so one of the things that's that's interesting to me i was one of these people that in in undergraduate degree i took extra classes in, in calculus as my electives instead of things like english where somebody could subjectively tell me whether i was right or wrong in calculus i was clear i was right or wrong and if i was right i kind of knew I was right. And, and I liked that. That, that made yeah. me very happy and very content. Well, the real world isn't like that, especially with talent. And so as we try to develop and add data, I'm always looking for information and how we can evaluate and better assess and, and um, access and develop talent. One of the critical things is grit. 
So loyalty, grit, I think grit can come in a number of ways and come from a number of things, but you need to see people that they've kind of stuck with it. They've worked hard, they put in real effort, facing different challenges. There's a guy on our team, for example, that's been a, a fantastic asset. I'll just stop with this, this one story, but I always think little stories or case studies are always interesting. Sure. He had okay grades, not great grades, but okay. Um, from good schools, not the best, but very good college. So good college, good grades. Um, so on paper, you wouldn't probably pick him out of a hat, but when you dig deeper, you look at things where when he was younger, he was living in Manhattan, reverse commuting out into the Greenwich area here where I live and actually even further on into Connecticut. So about an hour and a half, twice a day commuting. And instead of just, I don't know, watching shows or doing something with his time commuting, he did a full three levels of the CFA, uh, which is a pretty intense finance course, you know, in the morning and then on the way back from work. So I look for things like that. Just I look for quality people. I look, it's not just like on his resume, you'll see he did a CFA. But when you talk to people and learn about the journey, you all of a sudden pick up on things that just aren't on paper that shows you that, wow, this person was focused, driven, disciplined, you know, and that's, so that's an example that I think you want to dig and look for things like that. And conversely, you want to look for examples of people not being team players, not being what I would think of as just a high quality human being um, and looking and look for people that aren't looking for easy ways out. You need people that are going to pay attention, that are focused, that are, good, that are going to do the right thing, even when sometimes the right thing is harder to do or takes more time. Right. Yeah, when, I, um, when I consult with uh, college football coaches as well as you know, business owners like yourself, sometimes I get the question of, you know, so what should I be looking for, particularly out of a high school grad or a college grad? I said, well, don't talk to them about you know, the classes that they did well in. Yeah. yeah. Ask them about, you know, how they got through, you know, this, that, this class or that class with a C. Right? Yeah. Th that'll, that'll show you, uh, you know, what kind of character that if they just kind of slept through it and, you know, we're happy to get the, you know, what I call max them in, uh, yeah. that'll tell you something about them. But if they really had to bust their hump, you know, to get that C, that'll tell you more about them than just about anything else. Yeah, we learn, we learn more in life from our challenges. In fact, there are some institutional investors that look for managers like ourselves. And one of the things that they look for when they're assessing us is to say, talk to me about losses or talk about challenges you've had at any point in your career uh, to talk about, you know, what, what did you learn? What did you, what would you do differently? How did you work through this challenge? Um, so I think that's right. And then the follow-up question around that's also, I think, something helpful, which I'm sure, you know, you do as well, Steve, that once you kind of go down that path, ask them, you know, another question deeper into where people have had challenges and try to really, you know, assess. It's a good character assessment. I always like to say everybody's good at, um, you know, popping champagne. It's, you know, how good are you at dealing with the challenges? Because the challenges will come in life. That's, that's the reality. And that's why you need people with grit. Yeah. So uh, who are your leadership role models and uh, what did you learn from them? It's a great question around role models. I, I have many of them and they're always evolving. What I've found, Steve, is that in different periods of my life, 
there have been different developmental needs that I've had and things to work through. So if I think back 20 years ago or so, I guess longer than that now, maybe close to 25 years ago, um, there was a, a, a Mormon fellow actually out of Canada, Stephen R. Covey, that um, wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and other books. That was very inspirational to me and kind of this create organized processes and paths and create micro habits. There's another book that recently came out, the, the author skips my mind called Atomic Habits, where it's just like doing a lot of little things. Mm -hmm. But if you continue to build little habits, eventually that turns into a meaningful habit in your life that makes you more effective at what you're trying to do. So I've had a lot of different people. Those are a couple of the types of things, you know, that have, I think constantly are good reinforcements. Uh, I mentioned um, Richard Branson, who's somebody I don't know personally uh, well, but have, have read some of his books and I've, I've met him uh, through the Young Presidents Organization you know, over the years and different things. And you know, he's somebody that has built a really interesting lifestyle, um, certainly at points in the development of virgin was a very and not to say it isn't today but particularly maybe a decade ago incredibly inspirational brand in how people really wanted to work there be a part of it and was infectious in a in a very positive way and so there are a lot of things that i've looked at and how he's tried to approach things one of which he says kind of like we're doing today be out there for your brand get out there, get in front, show who you are, be authentic, and do everything you can do to help make your business successful and to help create value for your shareholders, which I think, um, you know, that that's somebody that, that I think is worth mentioning. And then you look at other people like, um, you know, more direct into my industry in private equity with Blackstone and Steve Schwartzman, where, you know, he has a, a book that he recently um, published and has a lot of you know great information that I would highly recommend that people read but talks about a lot of things in his journey and you'll see even though you know going to Ivy League schools and things which is different than how I you know grew up initially but even with that you know faced real challenges you know you can look at somebody like that who's a multi-billionaire and running um, I think the largest private alternative business in the world sort of BlackRock's a lot bigger but um, within the more of the private equity space that way, and in any event, a, a tremendous business. And you can look back and say, oh, it must have been easy. And you, you kind of appreciate that, no, it wasn't, and you're going to have real challenges. And if you're going to try to do something great and of high value, you're almost guaranteed to have challenges. And I think that's the reality of life. And I just accepted that years ago. I said, look, I, I'm, I'm a... I guess a dreamer, you could say, I have a vision of a life, of a business, of culture, things we want to build. And the reality is that some of those things will be challenging to achieve. And that means it's going to be tough and I'm going to face setbacks and hardships and don't sit and dwell on them, suck it up and move it forward. Actually, somebody uh, recently I spoke with, which was kind of interesting, is the headmaster of an independent school, which you may know of as Brunswick, which is very big into athletics. It's a, mm -hmm. a boys' school. And um, Tom Phillip, the headmaster there, has a podcast that you can, or not a podcast, but I guess it was an, an address to the class from a few years back that's available online. 
And he talks about, again, a golf analogy is saying you got to hit the ball where it lies. And I think as I, I've gotten more into golf, I'm like, yep, I, I can appreciate that. Like certainly for me as a learning golfer, it is not going exactly where I want it to go. Um, it's a pretty wide circumference of where the ball is going to land relative to where I hope it's going to land. And, you know, the train is different. But the reality is, you know, you got to play the ball where it lies. And, and I think for people that are golfers out there, certainly, you know, we can uh, appreciate that. I think it's an easy thing to understand. And that's kind of life. You know, you're advancing the ball, hopefully, but it's not always on the fairway. And you have to learn to play the rough. You got to learn to play the sand traps. Um, you have to learn to play in challenging conditions, certainly in speed skating. You know, I learned that I didn't have the best equipment, not having the, the money for it or things like that. And you, you know, but you drive hard and you have perseverance and it's amazing what you can accomplish if you'll, you know, really put your effort into it. Yeah, the, uh, the, the sense of reality that athletes have is a little bit different than, than most people. Is that, you know, this is, it is what it is. So this is what we got to deal with. So let's get to it. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge, and I, I don't like to overweight sports too much. I have a young daughter, and I don't know yet what she'll be like. Um, my son seems quite athletic and likes to play sports, so we, we do a lot together that way at his young age. I think there's a lot of different ways you can get it. I know that there's people that we hired somebody recently, for example, that's really big into music, extremely talented, extremely passionate, um, very disciplined, and so far just incredible so now i didn't grow up with you know that level of music capabilities or persistence into it and i think that's also an important lesson we have to be careful of, of our own biases it's human nature to sort of trust and like what we're most comfortable with and that's often what we're like and that's not always the right solution so people talk about diversity in sex and in skin color but I think there's also diversity of backgrounds that's very important. And that's something that I would also suggest in talent looking at. So there's a lot of different ways you can get it. I'm a huge proponent of sports, but it can be music. It can be other things. But just seeing that people are going to do things that they have to face challenges. They don't always get everything they want. And to learn and to develop, um, you know, the ability to work through problems and work through challenges. And lastly, I would just say a critical thing is coachability. Um, I'm certainly not perfect. Um, I don't think anybody is. Um, I know in YPO, you know, one of the taglines that uh, the organization has is lifelong learning. Like we're always trying to improve and develop as the world is evolving around us. And I think that's a really good lesson. So looking for people that understand and have the humbleness to say, hey, I'm not perfect. I'm going to try hard. I'm going to work hard. But, you know, I want open criticism. I Ray Dalio um, does his little tips and stuff like that. And um, he says people like praise the best, but often what's actually better for them is, and I'm sort of paraphrasing here, but is really accurate and direct constructive criticism, which says you coach people on, Steve, there's a time and a place for it, how to do that effectively. Um, but that can be really valuable and, ha and having people that are receptive to that and understanding that, yeah, look, I want people who care about me. I want people who are going to be authentic with me and actually say, hey, you know what, Brett, you probably could have approached that differently. Um, here's why. So that you're, you're constantly trying to evolve and approach things better and more strategically. And once you 
kind of have your mind shifted like that, I find that that's just the way you start to think. Instead of being reactive and feeling attacked, you're constantly just saying, yeah, that's okay. You know what? I can do better. Now you have to trust people. You have to trust your colleagues, your workers who you're with, your coaches, your teammates, so that you can receive information with trust. Cause I think that that is important, but if you can have that, I think it's, um, I think that's also an incredible thing to look for in people. Yeah. Well, the, uh, the national federation of high schools, which is like the NCAA of, of high schools, uh, conducted a study about uh, 10, 12 years ago. And what they found is that it's not GPA or, uh, SAT scores or class rank uh, that predict uh, career success for high school students. It's participation and leadership of extracurricular activities, mm. not, not just athletics, but uh, theater, uh, student government, right. um, uh, you know, music. Uh, it, it's, it's really those experiential uh, ex uh, educational experiences that students have that really form the foundation uh, of their future success. Yeah, and I guess that's in one of the, probably one of the uh, things that's a consistent across all of that, right? Whether it's volunteering, religion, sports, music, whatever it might be, mm -hmm. is that it's something that you somewhat don't have to do, right? School, I guess you're, yeah. you're going to school, you sort of have to take your classes or you get, kicked out presumably so you kind of somewhat have to do that but these are the other things you're choosing to do and looking for talent and people that are going to be uh what people say is curious we say oh look for people that are curious how do i know if people are curious i think you just um kind of hit the nail on the head is looking for people that have found passion and have pursued other things and ideally to some level of you know, success, um, even if it wasn't easy for them to do it. That's, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So what do you, so what do you do to relax or how do you celebrate? <laughs> good question. In, in a COVID living world, uh, which has been an interesting <laughs> world to say the least, um, I feel very fortunate. A lot of people have a very tough time throughout all this. So I'm, I'm fortunate to my wife, first of all, who helps uh, support, uh, myself and my career and, you know, being the primary caregiver for our, ch our children so that I can stay focused on my career. Uh, I'm also, you know, thankful that we live in an environment where I'm able to uh, have a home office and stuff. It's not as curated as, as yours. Um, this was a spare bedroom that's now become my uh, home office. Uh, but I think for me, what I found uh, during COVID, which has been great, and I'll talk a little bit more general, but just to address the moment that we're in today in life for all of us in society, because um, I know people are, are listening to this globally as well, is finding things that can relax you that are productive, I think is critical. So for me, the biggest one is exercise, sleep, nutrition, exercise, friendships. Um, so our, our kids in um, preschool, we have some nice parents and some little groups that get together and do some little things, play with our kids. That's fun. I enjoy speaking with the other people. I like high quality people. So for me, I do a lot of lunches outdoors with really intellectual, interesting people. I get a lot of energy from that. And I actually find that relaxing and constructive. 
Uh, I've, I'm not taking any time off this summer and I haven't taken time off in quite a while, but what I decided to do is take golf lessons. And that's something that while I'm golfing, um, I have to be focused, at least for me, because I'm a learning golfer. So I've got to be very focused so that I can hit the ball and at least directionally where I'd like it to go. And that has been very relaxing for me. And, it, and it's sort of exciting because I'm um, going through a pretty fun learning curve around that. But exercise is really the biggest one for me. Um, but I think sleep is also really critical and having the discipline of putting your phone down for me at least 45 minutes before I'm going to go to bed so that I have the you know, reduction of stimulation, uh, making sure you're not eating right before you go to bed, eat healthy foods. I become more of, not fully, but more of a pescatarian and plant-based diet uh, eater that way. But, but athletics and sports for me is really fun and really relaxing and it's actually energizing as well. So I feel like I get a win-win out of it, but also great people, you know, spending time with great people, finding the people that you like spending time with and talking to that are energizing. My wife used to kind of pick at me a little bit because my whole life is so integrated, but I, I like spending time with interesting people that we can talk about and you know talk about things that are relevant to each of us that we have you know expertise within and some of them are talent experts uh, one of my uh, friends i haven't seen for a while since covid but he's uh, the head of executive um the private equity executive recruiting division of corn ferry is the largest talent development from the world we've done triathlons together um you know become friends over the years and, you know, I love spending time with them. Technically, it's a different business because he's, a, he's an executive recruiter and, and, a, and more of a talent development guy, but that's obviously critical to me. So we're not competitive with each other in any way, um, but it's a lot of fun talking to him. So I enjoy engaging and then I enjoy getting to know him personally better. So for me, I found that's been a good way to build friendships around business and sports and ideally try to find those people where you know you have a few things that intersect with each other not competitive but where you know you're you're talking about things that you each care about because then you engage in it then you lean in you're you're stimulated you're curious and i find that quite energizing uh, and therefore relaxing i guess one could say yeah the uh, the, the the interaction is is, is complementary rather than competitive well said. So how can, uh, how can people contact you, Brett? One of the channels we have is our YouTube channel. Uh, mm -hmm. So youtube.com forward slash C forward slash Star Mountain Capital. Another, our website, where we have a lot of good content. And in a post-COVID world, we'll get back to hosting a lot of events again. Uh, we're often speaking at or hosting around 100 events a year all across the country. So engage with people in person. And and developing communities. We've trademarked collaborative ecosystem, which is a big part of our culture and our firm, trying to give back and be engaged with the community. Um, so starmountaincapital.com. And then if you want to email info at starmountaincapital.com and just put in the subject line what it is that you're looking for. If it's capital, people are interested in understanding more about investment products that we may have and maybe suitable you know, for them, depending on their backgrounds and so forth. Um, just put in the subject line what your general interest is and we'll make sure to have somebody uh, get right back to you. Well, Brett, I, I want to thank you for being here today. I, uh, I think a great deal of you and your firm. I think uh, uh, private equity firms like, your, like yours are really the future of, uh, of private equity just because of your, uh, your emphasis on 
on human capital. So I really do appreciate you taking the time. So the X wanna, factor. Uh, the X factor. So I want to <laughs> thank everybody for, for listening. Um, I'm Dr. Stephen Long. Thanks for, for listening to the X factor, the uh, podcast for leaders by leaders. We'll see you next time.